Hey everybody, this is Mike Fanning. I want to thank you for joining me on this Buckner's Preaching Today podcast. We're going to look at Buckner's sermon, The Fear of Grace, which is one of my favorite sermons. Um, Personally, I think it encapsulates his personal theology, which centered around grace. And this story is all about the events recounted in John chapter 9, the healing at the Pool of Siloam. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to quickly review this uh, sermon, listen to some excerpts, listen to an interview I had with Ron Hill, read a few emails, listen to a recording or two, and then we'll be done. So, fear of grace. Uh, again, it's based upon the event, events, pretty much, that happened in John chapter 9, the healing of the man who was born blind, uh, and he was told to go wash in the pool of Siloam, by Jesus. It was interesting how he mentioned that Jesus performed miracles, but they were all performed differently uh, because we're all individuals. We, he tailors each miracle to each individual. Um, then talked a little bit about the different kinds of blindness, not only physical blindness, but yet we often have different kinds of blindness, mental, spiritual, moral. So he then goes through and talks about the miracle itself, how Jesus spit on the ground, told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Um, Can you imagine the commotion the man caused when he hadn't ever seen before and then all of a sudden started to see? And then the disciples come in, the religious leaders come in, they kick him out of the temple, Jesus finds him in the temple, and then has an encounter with him. So we're going to listen to a couple of excerpts, two main parts of, of the sermon. He talks about the mixed-up disciples, and he also talks about the mixed-up religious leaders. So let's start with the disciples. I want you, first of all, to see the mixed-up disciples. There's nothing you and I as disciples do better than get mixed up. We get mixed up in our theology. Here the disciples were mixed up in their theology, and their disciples to this day, successors to those frail, fallible men and women, are still mixed up, and a lot of us are still mixed up on the same things that they were mixed up on. Here they come up to this man who's got a problem, and they feel the first thing they're supposed to do is to analyze him. They were a lot more concerned with the cause than with the cure more concerned with fixing blame than attaching some help. Much more concerned about being critical than being correct. And they asked that old question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The idea, the birth and the minds of men and women created by Satan himself, that all sin and sickness are synonymous is one of, if not the greatest heresy in the church to this day. I just wish that somehow people who preach up here in pulpits and write books and preach on television and go around in revival meetings would read the Bible they claim to believe, neither this man sinned nor his parents that he was born blind. The idea that the reason you're sick is because you've sinned. If you get your sin forgiven, you'll be made well. There's one entire book in the Bible, the book of Job, that repudiates that horrible heresy that Pharisees have been hanging on other people to increase their guilt and to intimidate lives since the beginning of time. Story after story from the ministry of Jesus, and this one right here in the ninth chapter of John, and statement after statement from the Word of God itself repudiates that idea, and yet we have a tendency in our minds to hang on to it, to cuddle it to 
to us to depress ourselves, to make ourselves feel guilty, and to lay it on other people to make them feel guilty. Neither this man's sin nor his parents. May God help us to hear Jesus say neither. 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 You need to take uh, some chapters out of your Bible if you believe that all suffering is the result of sin and that it can be healed if you just have enough faith. Now, I want you to notice at this point, and I'll come back to it at the conclusion of the message, this man didn't have any faith at all. Faith was the result of the miracle in this man's life, not the cause of it. These people who come along say, if you just believe hard enough, God will do all of these things. Faith was the result in this man's life, not the cause of the miracle as it was last week when we preached about the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, the same story. He didn't have any faith. Faith was the result of the gift of God, the grace of God in his heart and in his life. You need to take the 11th chapter of Hebrews out of your Bible if you believe sickness and sin are synonymous. The 11th chapter of Hebrew, a lot of us have been studying it in Sunday school just a few weeks ago. This roll call of faith, the heroes of the faith, and what happened to them, all of the problems they had, all of the persecution they had, all of the difficulties they had, all of the sickness they had, all of the sorrow they had, because they had faith. Because their faith was committed to God and to the doing of His will, they did have problems. Surely God can perform miracles. Certainly God can heal. But He does it as a specific sign for a specific reason, and He doesn't do it for everybody. He didn't do it for everybody. In His day, there were more blind people when Jesus died than after He began His ministry. He didn't heal all the blind people. He didn't feed all of the hungry people. He didn't cure all of the sick people. He didn't raise all the dead bodies. But He did enough to vindicate and to show one thing, and that is that He is the Messiah, that He is the Lord of life and death. But what he has come to do is to heal us of our sin. For if your body's healed a thousand times and God never gets to your spirit, what does it profit you? You gain the whole world, this world, and lose your own soul. What good does it do? Neither this man's sin nor his parents that he was born blind. My, I hope God will help us to see that. There's so much false guilt floating around in the minds and the hearts of Christians today because of that, that the reason you're not chairman of the board in your company is because you don't have enough faith. Reason you're not a millionaire driving the biggest car in town is because you don't have enough faith. Just get your heart right with God and he'll get rid of that uh, toothache. Just get your heart and mind right with God, he'll get rid of that headache. My friends, listen, sometimes you get a headache because you're concerned about the doing of God's will and concerned about sharing the gospel with the people of the world. Jesus Christ is concerned about separating in our minds sin from sickness. We can be forgiven of all of our sins. That doesn't mean that we're going to just be well and skip into glory without a headache or an ingrowing toenail when the time comes for us to go be with God. That's a heresy. The Bible speaks against it, verse after verse, experience after experience. The misguided disciples, the mixed-up disciples, and a lot of them are still mixed up, going needless around, carrying needless guilt and throwing unnecessary guilt on the lives of other people, making them feel guilty that if you had enough faith, you'd be well. And the reason you're still having problems is because you don't have enough faith. And so they're depressed and discouraged. My, what a tragedy that is. What a theological heresy that is. These mixed up disciples. So after dealing with the disciples, he then moves and talks about the mixed up religious leaders. Let's listen. Now I want you to see the mixed up religionists. These were good people, sincere people. They had a closed mind. They had God all figured out. They had him all defined. They had him up there in the box in the sanctuary up there on the top of uh, Mount Moriah. They had their system all working. And so here comes a, a man along who somehow has broken outside of the system 
and he has received sight, and they want to know how this has happened. And he tells them, this man Jesus, and that's all he knew about him at this point, this man whom they call Jesus made some spittle, put it on my eyes, some clay, and I went down there uh, to the pool of Siloam, and I washed, and now I see. And they said, oh, you don't see. You're not supposed to be seen because he's not supposed to have done this. This was the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do things like that on the Sabbath. Now, here's the main point of this message this morning, and the reason I wanted you to sing Amazing Grace, the reason I wanted you to sing the second verse particularly and to look at it, the fear we have of grace. The fear we have of grace. We are so locked in to a legalistic approach to life that it... It frightens us to think that there won't be some rules out here. Someone to say, do this, don't do this, think this, don't think that, go here, don't go there. They want to be free, and yet they don't want to be free. What, what will control my life? What will direct my life? What will be the principles of my life? Who will hold my life if the law disintegrates? The law given, the Bible te tells us, to bring us to grace. But we're not supposed to go on carrying that law as a burden after we have come to grace. But you know what happens to a lot of us as Christians? We try to walk with one leg in the kingdom of God and one leg in the kingdom of legalism. We try to live by law and by grace, and no wonder we are divided personalities. We don't know which way to go. We're afraid to turn loose of that law and to begin to move and live in grace. It's terrifying until you do it until you have it happen to you. And that's what the second chapter or the second verse of that hymn you sang a moment ago. "'Twas grace that made my heart to fear, and grace my fears, what? Relieved. My, how many of us need to be relieved from the burden of guilt and sin and the past, and that's what grace is going to do. But you've got to take, as Kierkegaard says, that fearful leap into the dark, and that dark is a, a leap into the grace of God. You think there's no bottom there, there are no rules there, there are no walls there, there's no foundation there. And you step out on it and you find that the foundation is grace. You find that the basis of it is love and it's better than all of the law put together. The freedom that God promises us is a fear to some people. It was to these disciples. It was to these religious leaders of that day. The fear of grace. We pull back from it. We retreat into religious ritualism, retreat into religious legalism. All of those things given to bring us to a point, once we get to the point of grace, we're to step over into grace. Grace greater than our sin, marvelous, matchless, wonderful, fathomless, incomprehensible, inscrutable, indescribable grace. I'm a child trying to figure this out. I've been studying it and reading it and thinking about it all in my ministry and more in the last year than any other time. Uh, we Christians are missing it. We who claim to know it are missing it. We, we, we have a tendency to, to revert back to the law and start imposing it upon other people. That's what the, these religious leaders were doing in Jesus' day, locked into that legalism. Now, legalism and morality can help, can help in some way direct the virtuous, but it can do absolutely nothing to redeem vice. Quick example, if uh, morality can help a person who is already in grace to be directed 
but it cannot do a thing in the world to change a spirit, change an attitude. The law cannot change you. It can punish you, it can threaten you, it can deter you, but it cannot change you. Never has been able to do that. Now, morality, ethics, standards, the law, if you like, may keep a non-gambler from making a fool out of himself at Las Vegas or at the racetrack. But it is not going to keep a child molester from molesting children. It's not going to keep a rapist from raping. It's not going to keep a liar from lying. It won't work. And that's the reason some people are so frustrated. They have tried all the religious ritualism, legalism, and prohibition, and it hasn't worked. And it never will work. And the only reason the law is given is to show that it can't work. That's the reason for the law. The law was given to show us that it cannot produce a change and to get us ready for accepting the only thing that can produce a change, namely the grace of God. So at this point, he talks a little bit about the Sabbath and uh, how Jesus felt about the Sabbath and why did Jesus do miracles on the Sabbath. He goes into some of the Jewish religious laws of the day that kind of sound foolish to us, and then he turned his attention to his experience at Glorietta where, yes, we as Christians have our own little rules and how Jesus was not only talking about the rules 2,000 years ago, but really talking about us today. And then he jumps back into the sermon and concludes it this way. Now look at this man. They threw him out of the temple. I mean, they couldn't answer him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Legalism always throws grace out the window. Did you notice how legalism intimidated the parents of the boy? Have you ever been intimidated by some of these legalistic Christians that come around and start beating you over the head with the Bible, telling you what you ought to do or ought not to do, and they've got God's will all worked out for you, and you've been talking to the Lord all along, he hadn't said anything to you about it? Legalists always endeavor to intimidate grace, and you know why? Because they're afraid of it. They are afraid of it. And so what do you do of something you're afraid of? You try to put it down. You try to intimidate it. That's what he, the, the legalists did to the parents of this boy, and that's what they tried to do to him. But how could he say, man, I was blind, now I see. You can say all you want to. You can make fun of me. You can say I'm nuts. You can disregard my parents. But I was blind, and now I see, and you cannot take that away from me. So they threw him out. Grace always is thrown out by legalism. It cannot face freedom. It's got to pull the walls in around it, limit it. So they throw him out. So the guy's just walking around everywhere having the time of his life, and Jesus finds him and reveals to him his fullness. Now here I come to the conclusion. I want you to notice when you read it today, and if you don't read it, I want to describe it for you. Chrysostom, the great preacher, said... The Jews threw him out of the temple. The Lord of the temple found him. Isn't that terrific? You ever felt disregarded? You ever felt thrown out? You ever felt like you were outside looking in? Have you ever been made to feel that way in Sunday school or church or around Christians? I tell you, we Christians have to be careful that we don't give off vibrations like that sometimes. And if you don't agree with us at every point, if you don't think like we think at every point, and if your theology is not a duplicate of mine, we freeze you out. If you don't belong to my church, if you don't go where I go, if you don't have every belief that I have, you get frozen out. Froze him out. 
And who went looking for him? The Lord himself. You feel right now like you've been neglected or rejected or alone, or fearful, intimidated, embarrassed. You're the Lord's target. He seeks you out in the crowd. The crowd that throws you out or makes you feel like an outsider looking in. You don't know how to speak God. You don't know all the language. You don't know all the words. You don't know what millennialism means. You feel intimidated by these legalists. Take heart. You're the target of the Lord of grace. He'll come to you. He's doing it right now through his own spirit. come talk to you and to bring you from where you are to where you would really like to be. Have you noticed the progression in this man's development? I want you to notice it. First, he called Jesus a man. Then he moved to the point of calling Jesus a prophet. And then he moved thirdly to calling him the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah. Progression. You know what happens to a lot of us who've been Christians for a long time? We go back and start talking to non-Christians. We begin at the wrong end. We need to begin where Jesus began. Here was this man. We go to him and say, oh, you've got to believe the Bible. You've got to believe our account of creationism. You've got to believe all the miracles. You've got... Jesus didn't work that way. He said, are you hurting? Are you looking for help? Are you looking for freedom? Are you looking for some relief from your guilt? Then come to me. He said, well, I don't understand you. Come anyway. Let me help you. Test me. Try me. See if I won't help you. And you begin to walk with him. You begin to find out that he's starting doing, to do something in your life. And your eyes begin to progressively open. And you see he's more than a man. You see that he's a prophet. My soul, he's got insights I never believed any man could have. And then you move from that to re the realization that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. You see, that progression takes place in varying degrees and at varying times in our lives. That's the way Jesus worked with people. That's the way we need to work with people. He then uh, concludes the sermon with that great quote by Napoleon saying that Jesus was more than a man and then an invitation to just try him uh, to start where you are. I got to tell you, I could listen to this sermon over and over and over again because of all the truth it contains about God, God's grace, how he deals with us, how we should deal with other people. Uh, I just love it. I talked to Ron Hill about it, and uh, Ron worked with Buckner for over 20 years at Trinity. Uh, and so I want to play a little excerpt from my interview with Ron about this sermon. Okay, I am here with my good friend, Ron Hill. My gosh, Ron, we've known each other 40 years? At Nearly least. 40 years. Yeah. Nearly 40 years. Yeah. Ron, Ron Back worked. when you were very young. <laughs> Yeah, not anymore. Uh, Ron, you were you were still in Baylor. That's right. Even before that, maybe. But I know you were in Baylor, um, and then you went back and got your PhD there. And so I remember all those years. Well, yes. you you work with Dad for almost twenty years, and then you and I started the fellowship, and we worked yeah. together for almost eighteen years. For eighteen years. It was. It was great. So time. there's a big chunk of life right there. There's uh, a, a lot more. I didn't even know we were 40 years old, right? <laughs> barely, barely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just, just barely 40. Just barely. 
Uh, okay, so Ron, we listened to this sermon, The Fear of Grace, which I think is one of Dad's greatest sermons ever. And uh, and I just want to talk about it with you. Uh, you and I spoke about this sermon and you remembered it. Let me just hit the highlights and then I want you to talk about what impressed you. Uh, any stories you want to tell, it's fine. We're going to kind of freeform it from here. But as a way of uh, kind, as a way of introducing it, basically, it's the story of John chapter nine, the healing at the right. pool of Siloam, and right. Dad talks about the different kinds of blindness <clears throat> people have, physical and mental and spiritual. And then he singles out the two people that were mixed up, the disciples who whose theology was all messed up and who he got into that whole idea about sin and suffering and how people want to equate those. And if you just don't have enough faith, uh, bad things are going to happen to you. Then he talked about the mixed up religious leaders who basically had a closed mind, had God figured out uh, that talks about rules and regulations and then talked about legalism, which he talked about a lot. And one of his great lines is legalism always throws grace out the window. Yeah. Um, uh, and then ended it with just uh, how we as Christians get it wrong. We, we get the progression wrong. Jesus dealt with this guy as a man, a prophet, and then a savior. And then we try to deal with, with people uh, as full-blown Christians and work the wrong way. And, uh, in the opposite direction that Jesus did. So anyway, enough of that. People will have listened to the sermon. What, what were your impressions of this sermon, The Fear of Grace? First of all, I love the title because, and, you, and Buckner did such a great job as he always did of, of taking that title and walking through scripture literally walking piece by piece through scripture. Buckner was never a verse by verse guy. He was an idea guy and a storyteller. But in doing that, he worked through every verse. He just didn't enumerate it. You know, a lot of these Bible or new, new type preachers go, look at verse 20. This is what it says. Look at verse 21, blah, blah, blah. Buckner did not do that. And except that he had a particular point. But he had the idea, which I think this, this sermon and this scripture out of John 9 is the perfect sermon for Buckner because it encapsulates the whole story of the grace of God. It takes a man from blindness, which were all born blind, and in all of those ways that Buckner talked about. And some people stay blind their whole life. And, and what, what he's basically telling this guy is through a physical impairment, he was healed, but he was healed by far more than that. And that was that he got to see things you never see. When you become a Christian, there's incredible things you can see, and not just on the surface, not just physically, but you can see in an intrinsic way of below and above the surface spiritually, I think. And Buckner could do that so beautifully, in my opinion. I've told you before, before I came to Trinity, Trinity to me was my last gasp in a Baptist church. I just, well, not just Baptist, Christian church. 
because I'd worked with a guy who I adored, who was a good friend of mine, good friend of mine to this day for 11 years. And one Sunday, he told them they were all going to hell. The next Sunday, it was the grace of God. So you're talking about confusion. And I knew better than that. I just never could iron it out. And when I got to Trinity under Buckner's tutelage, all of a sudden the gospel made sense to me. It just clicked. And every sermon, you talk about times that I was there all those 20 years nearly, I'd go into worship. I couldn't wait. I loved what I did all behind the scenes and all week long. But going into worship on Sunday was a celebration to me. And I knew every Sunday for nearly 20 years, there would be at least one moment, if not many, that it would be an aha moment for me. And that whole, this sermon encapsulates that. Buckner understood the grace of God, whereas many preachers tried, like my friend did all those years, he wants to corral you. And so he shows the parameters of the law of what you can do, what you can't do. And then all of a sudden, here's Buckner saying grace is free. It's freedom. You can see. You can see things People don't have to tell you anymore. You can go and see. In fact, one of my favorite things about this sermon with Buckner is not only the beginning of it, where he talks about the man was born blind, and then he helped him do something so rudimentarily um, uh, human of spitting and making spittle and putting on his eyes. Now go wash in the pool of Siloam. By the way, the last time I went to Israel with you, we went to the Pool of Siloam, if you remember. And they just a, opened it up. Yep. This is a shameless plug. We're going back in May, and they have done a lot of excavations at the Pool of Siloam. And you can actually walk down right now the steps into what was the water at the Pool of Siloam. It it's, is it's exciting. I remember going there. And you were excited because they just opened it up then. Well, now we can get to see even more. I hope everybody goes, by the way because this is going to be an extraordinary trip. Right. But Buckner could take those things, and this is what Jesus did. Jesus really modeled his preaching, in my opinion, after Jesus. And that, because uh, so many preachers model their preaching after seminary um, rudiments. Here's three points in a poem. Exactly. And I'm going to show you how smart I am. And Buckner wanted to, to show you the grace of God. Yeah. I, and that was the whole point of every sermon that I listened to for 20 years. Well, I don't think it's, he preached one sermon where grace didn't come into it. No, Some, it was every somehow, it was somewhere. Well, and, and this is what I just said. That was Buckner's whole ministry. The gift of God that's talked about in the New Testament all the way through, the, the cord that runs from Matthew, all the way through Revelation, the gift of God that's mentioned over and over again is grace. He gives it. He gave it to this man, but he did it in a way, as Buckner said, in a way that, as he said, people thought there was miracle powers in, in this mud pack, etc. He did it in a way that complemented human nature. We live in this world, but we also have another foot out of this world. And that's called the grace of God, of which all of our toes are pointed. 
And that's what Buckner did, I think, so beautifully. By the way, you already mentioned it, but that line at the very end where he calls Jesus a man at first and then a prophet and then savior is the journey that every one of us come into. And he didn't have faith. That was the other thing I got out of this sermon is that Buckner pointed so well. So many people say, well, if you just have faith, you'll do this. No, this man didn't have faith. Not any. Jesus gave it to him. He didn't even know who the guy was. He didn't even know who he was. He didn't know what he looked like, nothing. And it was later when they threw him out of the temple, which the law always does. Like you said, the law always throws grace out, out of the window. They threw him out of the temple. And what happens? Jesus went after him. And when he saw him, he wanted to know who he was. He said, I'm the one that gave you sight. And all of a sudden, now faith is connected to Jesus. And I'm telling you, I think that's so brilliant because so many people even tried to make the grace part of the law. I've heard it recently, by the way. And it just can't, I've always said grace plus anything equals grace nullified. If you add one little thing to the grace of God, it's no longer grace. And that's what people try to do. Buckner understood the purity and the freedom of grace. And this sermon collects all the way through it, uh, through the sermon. He, over every level, he just proclaims the grace of God over and over and over again. And I think it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliantly Buckner. And the thing I love about, he highlights the two groups of people that mess up the most. It's Jesus' <laughs> disciples and the supposed religious leaders of the day. I mean, the disciples, I, I love, he goes, man, they, they were more concerned with the cause and the cure, more concerned with fixing blame rather than helping, more concerned with being critical than correct. He said, he, they asked who sinned, and Jesus said, nobody. Nobody. It's like we as disciples are always trying to fix blame, always trying to find a reason why this person isn't, you know, more popular or more rich or, you know, you know, all the things he mentioned. And the reason you're sick is because you sinned or you did this and all the false guilt that we like load on people. And Jesus is going, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And so he deals with the disciples and then he gets to the religious leaders who were even worse. But I got to tell you, Ron, you and I both know, having, you know, been in the church as long as we have, people like rules. They <laughs> like boundaries. They like to be told what to do, what to believe, because then it's, it's one less thing they have to wrestle with. And so in a way, we like rules, but in yes. another way, it's like we need to be free of them in order for us to truly follow rules have their purpose rules have their purpose. They keep do keep perimeters, but <clears throat> I don't know if you remember, <clears throat> but 18 plus years ago, you and I had several conversations. You and I did uh, when we started the fellowship that it, because we started a church with nothing. If you remember that first Sunday, we didn't have a name. We didn't have, offering plates. We didn't have even a place to meet. 
we had to garner all of that. And we talked about over and over through the first several years, at least, that it would be easier to grow into a big capacity, a church based upon what we told everybody to believe, the law, than it would be grace. Because grace can confuse people because everything we do in this world is based on what I can get out of it or what I can give to it. And therefore, it's about me. It's about working to get a paycheck. It's about even those that we love. There are things that we do in order to keep those things flowing. But the love of God, grace, which Buckner always said, grace equals love. Love and grace are the same thing. And if we have love, if we have that godly love, which is his free grace, then it's not up to me. It's a gift from him. It is the gift of God. Therefore, we cannot enumerate it. We can't placate it. We can't do anything in this world to enumerate it. We have to just take it, trust it. And I loved what he said in the sermon. The law changes you from the outside. Grace changes you from the inside. And someone can tell me there's, say, for example, if, if there's a smoker, you can't smoke in this building. So when you go in the building, they put their cigarette out and go in the building. But when they come out of that building, they light up again. That's the law. But <laughs> grace is that within, I'm no longer going to do this. I'm going to change this. And it's changed from the inside out. That's the grace of God. And that's the one everlasting change of life. Yeah, the, the, the part of the sermon I loved was when he said religious legalism and ritualism is easy and we Christians miss it because we want to revert back to the law and impose it on people. He said legalism and morality can help direct the virtuous, but it can't redeem vice. The law can't change you. It can threaten and punish you, but it can't right. change your it heart. Change it. And he said what, that's why so many people and Christians are frustrated they try legalism and it doesn't work. And the only reason the law was even given was to show that it didn't work. And uh, so I, I just, this is one of the more theological sermons that I can yeah. remember in preaching, but yet you don't even realize how much deep theology is in there. Oh, it's so, huge. It's yeah. so deep. It yeah. is the crux of the gospel. This sermon is just by itself, the crux of the gospel. I'm telling you, Buckner hit it out of the park on this one, in my opinion. And all the way through it, over and over and over again, you see these incredible things. When I lived in Dallas uh, nearly 40 years ago, I, was, I had a friend up there that went to, she was in the choir. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what church it was, but it was um, one of the big, big independent churches up in that area, you you know this pastor very well. He was on television and would trot from one place to another with his prayer cards and all of that. Mm -hmm. And she was a member of that church. And uh, one Wednesday night, I was with her and I said, aren't you going to church? You're in the choir tonight. And she said, I can't go to church tonight. And I said, why? And she said, because I've been sick and I had a cold. And I'm afraid they'll find out that I had a cold. And if they find out that I was sick and had a cold, they would tell me I didn't have enough faith. 
And that's what this sermon's all about. It, it has nothing to do with that. And, you know, rain falls on the just and the unjust, but the grace of God. And I, I want to say one more thing here too, Mike, is I think I've been talking to a friend that's writing a book on this uh, lately. I think the religionist of the day, which is the majority, in my opinion, of churches, the religionist, if you vote this way, if you say these things, if you go here, do this, or you don't do that, then you are anathema. You are not of Christ. And I think religionists of the day, which are the legal Pharisees of the day, are ruining the church. I, I think agree. they're just flat ruining the church because people are so confused. And if, if it ever turns, and there's some signals out there that there are many that are catching on. But if it ever turns that people are free to come to Jesus Christ, free to be free, then I think that the church could be revitalized. And as Buckner would say, we need a revival in the church. That's the revival. Yeah. It's the blind man that can now see. I can now understand. And that's what he's saying. Well, there's, there's so many great little nuggets in here and so many um, great, I hate to say one-liners. I think, I mean, I literally laughed out loud when he was talking about when he goes, you know, do you ever feel or run into Christians who are beating you over the head with the Bible and telling yes. you what to do, and they got God's will all figured out for you, but you think, I've been talking to God. He hadn't told me anything. He had told me that. I love that. And everybody laughed in the congregation because everybody's I, experienced that. I, I and by the way, his story about Glorietta, his oh, story about Glorietta was fabulous. Uh, I was in charge for many years of the National Single Adult Conference. I, I was the keynote speaker for probably every state in the union. And I've been to Glorietta and Ridgecrest both as the keynote speaker many, many times. But I was keynoting this, the National Single Adult Conference in Glorietta a number of years ago. It made me think of this when Buckner was talking about it. And, uh, and if you remember the chuck wagons right outside of the main entrance there, and there's a big uh, store and a gathering place, a big patio. And, you know, single adults from all over the nation, they had a band out there that was just playing and single adults started dancing. <laughs> and so we, I was just excited as I could be. I thought this is wonderful, spontaneous joy. And people were just having a ball, laughing, cutting up, dancing. And all of a sudden word came within an hour. Someone had called the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and sent word that there was dancing going on at Glorietta. And within an hour, the head of Glorietta came out there and stopped it and said, as long as we're here, we're never going to be dancing. And I remember I went about a month later after it was to Glorietta because my friend who was head of single adult ministry in Nashville was going to be fired by the people of the SBC because dancing broke out. And so I went to that meeting to defend him. And we did. We Several of us, uh, you've met some of those people that have come to our church since then, but several ministers all over the country went and saved his job. But that's the kind of stupidity that confuses people and say, you can't have joy 
you can't, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with you people? And so we come to the church and you have to suck on lemons to show that you're religious. Are you kidding? And I, I think that we need to open that up. Well, we could talk forever on this. Thank you, brother. Yes, Ron. We could. This was fun. And you know what? It was, I mean, I listened to the sermon three or four times and I heard something different every time. I did too. I, I did just, too. I, you know, I'm like I've said, I, I was lucky to see him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and just not on Sunday. Yeah. And just the his humor and the way he explained things, uh, it just came through in this sermon. And well, and and may I say this personally about Buckner? I didn't get to see him on Saturday mostly, but I did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and we had many times of talking together all those years. I can, I mean, I think even now I'm thinking about times we just sat down. He would come down with a cup of coffee to my office or I would go up to his or we'd be in the dining room or somewhere. And I want to say this personally about Buckner Fanning is in all of those years I was there. Michael, I don't know if I ever, I think I've told you this. Not one time did he ever say a negative word to me? Hmm. He would come to my office. I'd go to his and he'd just tell you how great you were. That's the grace of God. When you know you're not perfect, but we're all imperfect. He just knew how to handle life. He knew what being able to see with closed eyes and being blind. And now you can see he could see the bigger picture. And I'm telling you, in all those years, I think he is one of the greatest human beings I've ever known. Loved him. Everybody on his staff loved him. The church loved him. This community adored him. And uh, there will never be another Buckner Fanning, period. Nope. And I agree. Well, listen. And I miss Ron. And you know what? Thank you for continuing to preach about the grace of God. All through our time at the fellowship, you would always preach about grace. And I always would think in my mind, Buckner would be proud. Well, when you, when you get it, when your eyes are, can see, it's all you can do. Yeah. It's all well, you can do. Thank you, Ron. All right. I Tell appreciate it. Hi. I'll do it. They'll hear you high for me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank Ron for taking time to talk about this sermon and his impressions of it. Uh, thanks, Ron. I really appreciate it. want to read a couple of emails from friends of mine. First off, one of my closest friends, my uh, friend of over 25 years. We've worked together in Israel for that long, Danny. Uh, Danny is our tour guide when we go to Israel, and he and dad were really close friends. He emailed me. He said it's very hard to put into words the deep impression in the sense of influence that Buckner's words have in my mind, but mostly in my heart. It brings back so many meaningful memories. Yeah, and I know how much Dad uh, loved Danny, and uh, so thanks, Danny, for that. Also, a friend of mine, Steve Harrison, one of the more astute and uh, perceptive Christians I know, wrote in, and he talks about how this sermon brought out a, a, a few thoughts in his mind. First off, 
how the story was as much about sin as it was about grace. Um, and how in the end Jesus subverted all the popular notions of what sin is. The story is also about human belonging and how we identify uh, with each other and how that forms us. Uh, basically, it requires an evil other to shore up our goodness or our uh, group belonging. In other words, having a scapegoat out there surely uh, makes us look better, or at least feel better. And so this blind person was born with a defect that disqualified him from full inclusion in the Jewish religious life. And so he was excluded from the get-go, but yet when Jesus heals him, a very disturbing monkey rich was thrown into this group of the Pharisees to the point to where this healing sowed division within them. Steve says the Pharisees are not uniquely wrong or evil. They represent all of humanity who seem to possess an innate ability to draw strength and identity over against someone else. The Pharisees ultimately doubled down on this man's innate sinfulness and they shore up their unity by throwing him out. And then Jesus makes his statement. I think this is really perceptive of Steve. He said that Jesus in front of the Pharisees, he's now using blindness and sightedness or the ability to see as a metaphor for sin and righteousness. In effect, Jesus subverts our very notions of what sin is. Sin is no longer a defect that requires exclusion. Sin becomes participation in the mechanism of exclusion. In other words, the Pharisees are insulted. They're asked if they're blind too. Jesus tells them that if they were blind, they would have no sin. But because they can see, their sin remains. In other words, sin becomes participation in the mechanism of excluding this man. And then he, Steve talks about the, the, the uh, Glorietta experience and the Baptist quote-unquote holiness codes uh, at this retreat center. He said the creation of these holiness codes, whether they're first century Sabbath rules or 21st century liberal slash conservative political holiness codes, the business is the same. They serve to identify who the wrong, bad people are, and they shore up my personal sense of rightness and goodness, all at the expense of a neighbor I'm supposed to be loving as myself. I believe Jesus came to save us from that. Wow, thank you, Steve. I really uh, resonate with that, and I think it's really perceptive uh, of, of you to, to see that in the story. Finally, I'm going to play a uh, recording I got from a good friend of mine, one of the greatest philanthropists in San Antonio, uh, and also a good friend of Buckner when he was alive, uh, Harvey Najum. Hey, Mike, Harvey Najum. Hey, I just listened to your dad's sermon today, Fear of Grace. It was so uh, moving to me, so touching. Um, he is such a he was such a powerful speaker, 
and he really brought me closer to God. Still does every time I think of him or listen to one of his sermons. I learned a lot today. I even read John chapter 9 before I started. And uh, anyway, thanks for sharing that with us. Bye. All right. Thank you, Harvey. Thank all of you, too, for checking out this podcast for this month and for listening to the sermon, Fear of Grace. I'll send out emails in a week or so with the new sermon for next month, and I hope we can meet again then. Thanks again. Have a great one. See you.